What a privilege. And I bring greetings from uh, Leslie and Ben and Ollie. And uh, this is a, a few, uh, it's not very really clear picture, but those on Facebook will, will see lots more pictures than I ever see of the family <laughs> and what they're up to. But uh, they're sorry not to be with me today, but they send their love. And I bring greetings from the church as well. Leslie said I've got to advertise it. I don't know if she thinks I'm recruiting or something, but uh, she took my clothes and branded them all. Within, so I'm branded with an inch of my life. Everything's got Wilton Baptist Church. Perhaps we should go back to the days of dog collar. But hey, I want us to... Uh, to consider this matter of prayer and uh, I hope there's something, it's nothing new to bring to you, it's to remind myself and to remind one another of the, this very simple message, God hears your prayers. And you can put the emphasis in different places, on different words, maybe you'd like to do that as appropriate for you. I think I'm thinking more of your prayers. For some of us don't have a problem with understanding and recognising that God hears other people's prayers, but is he really interested in me, in my little prayers? Well, I want us to look briefly at, uh, at several, mostly Old Testament examples of heartfelt biblical prayers, and discovering some basic principles of prayer that we might apply some simple practical tips, perhaps, to our own prayer lives. And then we're going to finish by sharing Holy Communion together. And uh, this is an open table, all who love the Lord, uh, even if visitors like me, are welcome to share and to take the emblems, the bread and the wine. If you're not a believer or you're just a, an observer or a visitor just watching what's going on, then don't feel any shame in passing them by, but that's later on. I feel quite uh, excited by the things that are happening in this church, and it's quite good to come between a fun day and a harvest festival. Uh, this, is a, this is a low point, maybe, but uh, this, is, this is a joy as we share different aspects of life. And I've got loads of Bible verses, and sometimes you can have, if you're like me, you get overloaded with verses, but I wanted to start with three, because the psalmists again and again address the issue of God and hearing our prayers, and sometimes there's a lament, there's a real, God, why don't you hear me? What's going on? And other times it's more positive. And these are three positive ones from Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. 65. Are you who hear prayers, O Lord, to you, all people come. And this one, Psalm 66. If I cherished sin in my heart, you wouldn't hear me. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his loving kindness from me. We'll come back to David's personal testimony later on, but testimony is powerful. It brings glory to God and encourages faith in others. The psalmist isn't shy about saying when he's in trouble, 
when he feels like he's not heard, but also he doesn't shirk from, shrink from giving glory to God when he's received answers to his prayers. And remember that the Psalms so often point us to Jesus. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, but through me. And, the, and our prayers, we often say, we pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. But we have that open access, that instant access to God through Jesus. This is a, a reassurance to us that we have his word, we have his promise. And if we're in Christ, if we've confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we're saved. That's settled once and for all. Of course, if we haven't come to that point, that's where we start, that's where we're born, that's where we're born again. And then we grow, and we need to grow in our prayer life as well in, in other aspects of our spiritual development. We receive God's righteousness in Christ. And Paul talks about putting on Christ. And if we do that, then the promises of Jesus are true for us. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace in time of need. And we do this, don't we, through prayer. John expands this thought in uh, 1 John 5. This is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked from him. And the Apostle Paul encourages us not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, to present our requests to God. And again, in Ephesians chapter 6, directly after that wonderful passage on putting on the armour of God, he says, I'm praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All kinds of prayers. There are many ty kinds, types, patterns, models of prayer. Prayer can be silent or spoken, written or extempore, with or without fasting, with or without feasting. Desperate, despairing, delighting, arrow prayers, short and quick, sustained prayer, prolonged and intense, prayers within groups, 
prayers within triplets, prayers in couples, or prayers on your own. Insistent prayers, persistent prayers, inspiring prayers, perspiring prayers. We could go on, and I will. That's my prerogative. But we got prayers of confession and prayers of petition, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of intercession, prayers in the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus. How many and varied are the types and kinds of prayers we can offer? But offer prayer we must. We can talk about prayer, we can sing about prayer, we can preach about prayer, but unless we pray, we're falling short of God's desire for us. He wants us to communicate, because prayer is basically communication with God. And it's two-way. We're to be open to him speaking to us in various ways but not to be shy, not to get out of the habit of offering prayer. I have a couple of, couple of booklets on prayer that I've come across. Uh, one is called Why Pray by J. John, and it's on the, based on the Lord's Prayer. Just to recommend that, if that's a good, good one to give to somebody who wants to know why to pray. And this is a bit on the similar lines. It's called Living on a Prayer. It's written for... Uh, National Prayer Weekend, which apparently is next weekend. Um, I look, every weekend ought to be a weekend of prayer. And uh, it starts with this little story which tickled me. It says, As a 16-year-old girl received a surprising text from her mum. It read, What do you want from life? Stunned by the profundity of this unexpected question, she considered things like fame and fortune and meaning, but her train of thought was soon interrupted when she received a second text saying, predictive text had changed Lidl to life. <laughs> what she meant to say is, what do you want from Lidl? And the booklet goes on to say, well, how many of us ask that question? Not a supermarket question. What do you want from life? And then it suggests that we can look in all sorts of places, but we, if we ask God, then that's where we get the answer, the true and proper answer from. I was telling my church recently the story that I heard of about a supermarket, a two-year-old who was going in to a supermarket, and before they went in, the mum said, you're not getting any chocolate biscuits, so don't even ask. And so the child is sitting in the trolley, doing fine, good as gold, until they come to the biscuit aisle. Mum, can I have some chocky bickies? I told you, you're not getting any chocolate biscuits, so don't even ask. Sat down and quiet. Up and down the aisles, inevitably comes to an aisle with some chocolatey, biscuity type things. Mum, can I have some chocolate biscuits? I told you, you're not getting any. Stop it. She did. Managed to, to, to restrain himself until they got to the checkout. And then he obviously thought this is his last chance. And so he stands up in deep breath and says, in the name of Jesus, can I have some chalky bickies? <laughs> and the person who tells the story, Paul Harvey, swears that due to the generosity of other shoppers, that boy and his mum went home with over 20 packets of chocolate <laughs> biscuits. 
<laughs> we must be careful not to invoke the name of the Lord just to indulge ourselves. But, like that little boy, we need to learn to pray unashamedly in Jesus' name, persistently, specifically. And as we do, we'll be overwhelmed not necessarily with biscuits, it may not be the healthiest for us, but with God's goodness. I said I wanted to look briefly at some Old Testament examples of heartfelt biblical prayers, and there were just so many that sort of tumble in, and they're all, a, it's like a series. I hear, I hear Peter in my head all the time, and he'll say, there's a series here, isn't there? And, uh, <laughs> um, but, but bear with me, I, I hopefully I'll just sort of mention some of these, and they're, they're familiar characters, they're not hidden ones. But uh, first one that came to mind with this was Jonah. Jonah, I think, we identify with many of us because he had a message that he didn't want to deliver, a message to the enemy, a message calling them to repentance. And the fact that God would offer the Ninevites an opportunity to repent made Jonah mad. He didn't want to bless his enemies. So what does he do? He buys a ticket. He gets on a boat. He goes the opposite direction to get away from God, away from the call of God on his life. It didn't quite work out like that, did it, as we know. Well, at sea, that severe storm came, and the, the crew cast lots to see who was responsible for it. And of course, it falls to Jonah. And Jonah admits that it's his disobedience that's called it. And he, and he begs them to throw him overboard. It's a fascinating account, a fascinating story. But reluctantly, they do. They picked him up, they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Well, it wasn't the end of the story. Maybe that's what Joseph, Jonah thought that would be the end of the story, the end of his life, God's judgment on him. But the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow him, to swallow him. and Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the great fish, for three days and three nights. And it's there that we read an amazing prayer of Jonah's. He he cries out to God from the uh, from the depths, from the depths of the grave. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Jonah describes his fishy experience as a pit, and he cried out to the Lord in, while in that pit. It brings us to a second testimony, that of David, who uses similar terminology, although I doubt he was in the, the tummy of a whale. Psalm 40, 
He says this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now I, uh, I was a bit of a U2 fan back in the day, and I know Dave was, or maybe still is, I don't know, we're getting old together. And uh, I remembered, how, I went to a couple of their concerts, and they always ended their concerts, even at the height of their popularity, with their version of this psalm, simply called 40. I don't suppose they still do, but I'm a bit out of touch with it. But it's that, he lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, I will sing a new song. How long? to sing the song, and then it would sort of, they would all disappear and the crowd would all be singing it. But I think people identify with that because whatever David's pit was, and we're not told this particular one, we know certain uh, low points in his life, um, but each of us encounter those pits, those depths, those difficult places David describes it in this psalm as a slimy pit and miry clay. It could have been his enemies, it could have been a physical illness or a deep emotional distress. Perhaps, as with Paul's thorn in the flesh, we're not told so that we can apply our own circumstances into a general principle. You're in big trouble if you're in a pit where the bottom is mud, quicksand, where the sides are slimy and there's no way out, trapped, unable to free yourself. Like Jonah, David was well and truly stuck, a metaphorical pit perhaps, but he was without hope and without help. He was hopeless and helpless without the Lord. And such descriptions, such graphic pictures relate well to the human condition. Biblical pictures of the pit frequently include such vivid imagery as silence, darkness, destruction, corruption, the grave, death and despair. And ultimately, as human beings are spiritual as well as physical, there is a judgment, there is a future, there is an eternity. And if you've not yet cried out to God to save you from judgment and punishment for your sins, then you are in a deep pit with no way out. Now you may or may not recognise that you're trapped. Perhaps you think life's going pretty well. But the reality is that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out judgment to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will pay the penalty away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, says Paul in Thessalonians. It's the worst of all pits to be in. Don't go there. Don't stay there. Or maybe there's a more immediate pit that you find yourself in today. Well, I'm going to encourage you to pray when all else seems hopeless and helpless. It needn't be the last resort, but it can be. Maybe you've not been able to muster the, 
the, the strength, the energy, the hope to pray, well then, just do it from the heart. You don't have to do it in front of me, in front of people. Do it, come before the Lord. There were three pits that I want to mention just uh, from a personal level because they all happened in conjunction with the fellowship here and I don't talk about it much at, at, uh, at Wilton um, but it informs ev- they inform everything that I do and many of you will know and your minds will go back to the first of those which was when uh, I lost my f- first wife, Rachel. We came to this church, we were... Uh, welcomed into membership in the early 90s together and we served here uh, for a few years until she got very poorly and you will know because you supported her and me until the Lord called her home in 1999 and then I guess you're in a you're numb aren't you for a while and you don't know quite what's what and it takes time before God rebuilds your life and he did rebuild my life and I guess give testimony to that to say look if you're in a place that seems hopeless and helpless it's not hang in there and cry out to God and accept help from his people the second one was with my second wife which we praise God that's a story in itself isn't it those who know it how Leslie came uh, into to my life and that was in this church as well um, but we'd we'd had a baby we'd had Ben we, and we, we were expecting another one and something wasn't quite right on the on the uh, scan I don't know if anybody remembers because we asked for prayer here on the Sunday and during the week she lost the baby it was treasures actually but um, and then she was in a difficult place and that never leaves you. And, I, and what it brought to light was how many people have those experiences and how they're precious. Take them to the Lord in prayer. We were, uh, it doesn't always, it doesn't like sound like it's all nice and glib, but we were blessed with another son. And, uh, and that's, I guess, the third pit, really, because he was quite poorly, as you will remember. And uh, we were, we met a lot of other people who were in def- desperate situations with their children. And we just praise God that, that our child is well and healthy. And those who realised what a problem he had eating uh, will now see how, <laughs> how it's a problem in stopping him eating. But that's the, we want to give glory to God. And I mention these not to, not to, to wallow in them, not to say Isn't this, it's all sweetness and light. But these were three specific low points which I know will connect with folk. And I just wanted to bring encouragement to you. It's not easy. It's not straightforward. It's not always appropriate to talk to people about it. But find someone who can pray with you. Find someone who can lead you through to God's purposes. Now your pet may be bereavement or or child loss or, or illness but it may be loneliness or the loss of a job. It may be former friends that have turned against you or perhaps a broken marriage or no marriage, rebellious children or no children. Maybe 
you're in the grip of an addiction or a vice. So that everybody knows or nobody knows. Perhaps it's a troubled conscience, it's a mental torment or some other overwhelming problem, but you feel like you're in the depths. You are not alone. Now, you may be responsible for being in your pit, like Jonah. You may be a victim of the sins of others, like Joseph. Or it may just be life. But know that you are not alone. God hears your prayers. Don't stop praying. If you can't use words, use tears. If you can't use tears, use silence. God is with you. God hears the heart. Some are in the pit because they're trying to live for Jesus. Remember you have an enemy, the devil, Satan, the accuser, the deceiver, whatever we call him. There is an enemy who hates you and will want to bring you down. But take heart. If God is for you, who can be against you? Consider Daniel. Daniel was in a... He was a man of prayer, wasn't he? Learned that as a child. Daily he prayed three times till one day he had been cast in the den of lions. In the pit, in the pit, fears could not alarm him. God had the lion's mouths so they wouldn't harm him. God delivered Daniel. He did what was right even though he knew the consequences. He was thrown into that literal pit full of hungry lions. And he had to stay there overnight. And we're not told what he prayed, if he prayed, but he was a man of prayer. And it was that prayer actually that brought him into conflict with the authorities. And sometimes our following of Jesus will bring us into conflict with others, maybe at work, or maybe uh, in the home, maybe in the community at large. And we're to do things with respect and gentleness. We're to be wise and not to be foolish. But if we honour God, he will honour you. And think of others who were put in prison for preaching the gospel, for committing no crime. And ultimately we look to Jesus and we'll come to our communion before too long because Jesus was betrayed and condemned, beaten, mocked and spat upon. Jesus was hung on the cross and laid in the tomb, going into the very pit of death. The power of God raised him, triumphant over sin and conquering death and hell itself. We don't have to stay in the pit. We can have life and have it abundantly through Christ Jesus. The pit of hell couldn't hold Jesus, who says, I'm alive forevermore and held the keys of hell and death. Stay close to him and you will be raised too. Raised eternally, but raised above your circumstances now. And even if you're in the pit because of your own sin, don't despair. There is a way. Repent. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whatever your situation, learn from the biblical examples. When you're in the pit, wait on the Lord. Cry out to him and know that God hears your prayers. And there's one more Old Testament example which has captured my thoughts. And this is a heartfelt prayer from a, a woman. It's slightly different from the others. But it's Hannah, an ordinary woman who lived in an extraordinary time in Israel's history. The time where the judges ruled over Israel was coming to an end and the kings, kings were coming. And Hannah lives right before this transition. In fact, her prayer helps to usher it in. Now, Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah who dearly loved her, but he also had another wife. Penina had children, but not Hannah. And all of Hannah's thoughts centred on being childless, although the Lord closed her womb. And her husband couldn't comfort her. And she was ridiculed and she was teased mercilessly for her barrenness. And she sought the Lord. Each year, Elkanah took the family up to Shiloh to worship God and offer sacrifices in the tabernacle of the Lord. And one year during this trip, Hannah had a divine appointment with God. The message puts it like this in 1 Samuel 1.9. Hannah ate. Then she pulled herself together, slipped away quietly and entered the sanctuary. The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. O God of the angel armies, if you'll take a good hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely, unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a life of holy discipline. It so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and says, You're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. Hannah said, oh no, sir, please. I'm a woman hard used. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart, pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. And Eli answered her, go in peace. May the God of Israel give you what you've asked of him. And God did, of course. For nine months later, Hannah gave birth to Samuel, a miraculous and gracious gift, not only to her, but to the nation of Israel and to the story of salvation history. Echoes of our Saviour Jesus' birth resound throughout this account. But ironically, notice that Eli, God's man, was less spiritually sensitive than a humble woman, Hannah. Matthew Henry writes in his classic Bible commentary, Hannah mingled tears with her prayers. She considered the mercy of our God who knows the troubled soul. God gives us leave in prayer, not only to ask good things in general, but to mention that special good thing we need most and desire. She spoke softly and none could hear her. Hereby she testified a belief of God's knowledge of the heart. Eli was high priest and judge in Israel. 
It ill becomes us to be rash and hasty in judging others and to think people guilty of bad things while the matter is doubtful and unproved. Hannah did not return the charge and confront Eli with the wicked conduct of his own sons. When we are at any times unjustly accused, hear this, we have to set a double watch before the door of our lips that we do not return censure for censure. Hannah thought it enough to clear herself, and so must we. Eli was willing to acknowledge his mistake, and Hannah went away with satisfaction of mind. She had herself, by prayer, committed her case to God and received prayer. You know, as uh, Angie said, come forward for prayer, and there will be an opportunity at the end for prayer. Prayer is heart's ease to a gracious soul. I was going to put that up, though. I didn't think I did. Prayer is heart's ease to a gracious soul. Hannah was misunderstood, and you may be misunderstood too, by others, even brothers and sisters, even the pastor. But remember, God knows the heart. Tattoos are all the rage, aren't they? And uh, uh, it's a subject for another time. But I saw one the other day, and they had it across their, the back of their neck. You couldn't miss it. God is my judge. I don't know what the story is. If Leslie had been with me, she'd have probably asked them, but uh, I don't do that sort of thing. Um, but maybe we should. But that's true. God is our judge. And speaking of tattoos, did you know that you're tattooed on the palm of his hand? Young people in our church put a poster up, Isaiah 49:16. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. He loves you that much, ever before him. He won't forget you. He will hear you. There are many other prayers we could have turned to, but these particular ones tell us that it's not wrong to pray for ourselves. And perhaps, in fact, we must. Others will benefit if we're right before God. But we also receive prayers from others. And don't believe the lie that your situation is too bad to pray for God to hear. Don't believe that you're too ill, too depressed, too sinful to pray. For according to God's will and timetable, he answers as well as hears. You have the very same God as these mighty characters in the Bible. They're not just make-believe figures. They're not just dusty, cardboard, long-dead characters. They're there for a reason. They're there to inspire us, to challenge us. And I urge you to open your heart to the Lord who came to bring light for our darkness, forgiveness for our sins, hope to the hopeless. God hears your prayers. Lee Strobel writes in his uh, reworked um, uh, book, The Case for Christ, he says, don't you love drive through restaurants? You pull up to a speaker, you shout what you want to eat, by the time you drive forward, your order's ready to go. Some Christians treat God like a drive through restaurant. 
We bow our heads in prayer and give our orders and expect it all to be done. God always hears our prayers. He wants us to pray about everything. But prayer is more than about asking for something. And he uses this acrostic just briefly. For what it's worth, praise, repent, ask and yield. I use, the, I use the one acts. I learned it as a child. What you learn in the Sunday school and in the home sticks with you, even when you're getting old like me. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, a long word for asking. But this one maybe will help you. Praise God. Start with adoration. Don't forget to who you are. The more you see God, the worse you feel. And as we come to communion, we see the wonders of God and we're aware of our inadequacies and none of us could stand but by his grace. And then we can tell God our desires. We can ask for his help. But we don't leave it there. We give our lives to him. Prayer isn't putting in an order. It's connecting with God. There's another, another sermon here. I just got this book on prayer by Tim Keller and I had to share this bit with you. So bear with me for a, a minute. He uses the, the picture. We left Weymouth in Olympic year, four years, four and a half years ago now. And uh, the world was focused on Weymouth and Portland for the sailing. And Tim Keller uses an analogy about our prayer life. And I challenge you with this. He says, are you, are you sailing? Sailing means you're living the Christian life with the wind at your back. God is real to you. You feel his love. You, you sense his prayers answered. You see remarkable things and share with others. Or are you rowing? Rowing means you find prayer and Bible reading more a duty than a delight. God seems distant. The sense of his presence is rare. You don't see a lot of prayers answered. You may be struggling with doubts about God and yourself, but you refuse to give in. You continue to read the Bible, to pray, to attend worship while you're here, to reach out despite an inner dryness. Or are you drifting? Drifting is not a very good picture, but it's drifting there. It means you're experiencing all the same conditions of rowing, spiritual dryness and difficulties, but instead of rowing, you've sort of let go and you're drifting. You don't pray, you don't read. You give in to the self-centeredness that comes when troubles overwhelm you. Drifting into self-indulgent behaviours to comfort yourself, whether that be escape eating and sleeping, sexual practices or whatever. Eventually your boat, your soul, will drift and you'll be sinking. You lose any forward motion in your Christian life. The numbness of heart becomes a hardness of heart. And if you were to face a major difficulty, it would be all too easy to abandon your faith and identify identity as a Christian altogether. And in this metaphor he goes on to say, there are some things we're responsible for using the means of grace the Bible, prayer, and church. There are many other things we don't have control over, like our circumstances, even our emotions. But if we pray, if we worship, if we obey, despite those circumstances and feelings, when the winds come, we'll be ready 
to sail again. If we don't apply the means of grace, we may be in danger of going beyond drifting to sinking. In any case, pray. Praying is rowing. Don't worry, God is never blind to your tears, never deaf to your prayers, never silenced to your pains. He sees, he hears, and he will deliver. Amen. As we come to communion, we're going to sing, Lord, I come to you, let my heart be changed.